0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, and that is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Monday, January 11th, 2021. How are you tonight, Aaron?
1: I'm surviving. I guess that's as good as I can get right now. I'm just happy to be here, <laughs> you know. It seems like things are askew everywhere, and I'm happy for the little bit of stability that I have in my little piece of world.
0: Okay, okay. And another thing to be happy is we are just four days out from the debut of WandaVision, Marvel Studios' very first limited series for Disney+. And we're not just getting one episode for that show's debut, we're getting two. And all told, there will be nine episodes of WandaVision. But anyway, as Kevin was out making the rounds, he was talking about the fact that if things had gone according to plan, Falcon and the Winter Soldier would have been in the first limited series out of the gate. You were mentioning from having watched the footage from the Disney Investor Day that Falcon of the Winter Soldier really had a movie-like visual sensibility? I mean, big action scenes, that sort of thing? Well, I
1: don't want to say that in that way, like, it was the only one, because, you know, WandaVision's got a very TV-centric feel right now. And yep. then you compare yep. it to Falcon flying through a canyon a la Top Gun-style Tom Cruise way, mm-hmm. and that's a huge disparity between the two a huge gulf to to cross and just recently i'd read a quote from paul bettany that had said um when they get to the end of wandavision it goes from tv Mm -hmm. to full cinematic movie style mc universe that we know and love and Hmm. i wasn't expecting that i was expecting this all to stay kind of tv centric focused Mm -hmm. how many episodes you say we had nine we have not yeah so so maybe in uh episodes seven and eight things come back to reality and then we get to mm-hmm. the battle if you will
0: mm-hmm. okay well what's what's kind of interesting remember the falcon and the winter soldier had the shutdown in prague back in march of last year to coat due to COVID 19 and obviously with the cinematic look you were just talking about that shoot was harder for the production team to pick up where it left off whereas WandaVision, because as you mentioned, this series leans really heavily into a sitcom sensibility. It was far easy for Marvel Studios to just restart production of that particular show, which is why in the end, that's what happened. WandaVision basically jumped ahead of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Anyway, folks, lots and lots of Marvel-related news today, which we'll get to in a sec. But first, I need to remind you that the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner for the Marvel Us Disney podcast. When you're ready to travel again or looking for a worry-free vacation experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. And forgive me for the world's worth transition coming out of, of that plug. But given that the U.S. has experienced more than 27,000 new COVID-related deaths in just the first 10 days of 2021, Aaron, I seriously wonder if anybody's traveling anywhere anytime soon, and that includes to your local multiplex.
1: Not unless they've gotten a shot in the last week or two.
0: That's the thing. I forget, I was just hearing the stories about how, yes, the shots are out there, but I guess... They've only got 30 million, I want to say, out there, and this is far below the point of the target they were shooting for, which is why, and again, I, I know this is you're gonna drop dead shock from from hearing this. But did you see the story in variety today about how studios once again, are looking ahead to now their schedule for 2021 and going, well, maybe we need to move some things. Oh, geez.
1: Do I really have to open up my closet, get up on my tippy toes to the very top shelf and grab my surprise face again? (laughs) 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 I'm not. I always thought that, you know, I mean, May seemed like a safe bet because... We heard that a thing was going to happen and timeline, timeline, wonderful. And, uh, yeah, no, no, that's not usually how reality rolls with it. You never go with the plan. It's always, oops, something happened. We got to alter the plan just a little bit. It'll only be a week or two. And then, oh, this other thing happened. It'll only be another week or two, uh, whatever. But May for Black Widow is too dang early. And mm. I don't think it's going to make much money in the box office Unfortunately, because these things are driven by financial success or failure, I don't know if Mm. that means that future Black Widow projects would automatically get a death knell because of bad placement. Too soon, too soon will be the, Mm. the mantra for that one.
0: Well, here's what they reported today in Variety, that there is chatter that another Disney tentpole, the Scarlett Johansson-led Marvel adventure Black Widow, may follow in the steps of fellow studio-release Ray and the Last Dragon, uh, which is supposed to premiere concurrently in theaters and on Disney Plus for a premium price. Disney insiders continue to deny these whispers, but yet in the age of corona, nothing is being considered until it is you know what if they if they're going to put it on disney plus they could have done it a long Mm -hmm. time ago the
1: reason they waited is they wanted Mm -hmm. a theatrical experience you have to watch this Mm -hmm. in a theater to get see every little detail that's Mm -hmm. why you got and you got to experience it with the crowd and you can't Mm -hmm. back out now and go oh yeah and we're also going to release it on disney plus at the same time that kind of uh urinating in the wind you know, it's wrong direction, man. <laughs> You're
0: getting your leg wet. <laughs> I, I love the discreet euphemism. That's Okay, there we go. What's kind of interesting is, is Kevin's a, a fascinating interview. He would, you know, for example, talking about what they've been dealing with COVID, he feels lucky because it's like if COVID had happened in 2017 when they were shooting Infinity War and Endgame back-to-back, If that six-month-long shoot had been disrupted with 30 big-name actors who all had to come in and shoot scenes at various times around other projects and all that sort of thing, that would have been disaster. Whereas this year, with WandaVision and the other stuff, it's like, we could work with
1: that. It's the best breaking-off point you could have ever hoped for. You got your little Mm -hmm. coda at the end with Spider-Man, Far From Home— and so that that door Excellent is closed, point. it's complete. Let's take a two-year hiatus to get rid of the mm-hmm. sickness and then uh, start fresh and new. I mean, I probably, no, imagine, Jim, if corona had happened uh, right after we had gotten Infinity War and we're still waiting mm-hmm. on Endgame right now. Can you imagine
0: how that would be? I'd be an angry, angry individual mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> Well, it's interesting you bring up Infinity War because Kevin, again, uh, talking with Screenwriter this week and discussing the origins of WandaVision, he talked about how they had their very first conversations about this project when they were out on the press junket for Infinity War. It was almost three years now since we had our first had a discussion with Elizabeth and Paul. I think during the press junket for Infinity Wars, Bob Iger had come to us and explained that Disney would be launching a streaming service and that they wanted Marvel Studios to start working on programs for it. And WandaVision was one of the very first ideas we came up with. And uh, that was mainly because there were so many great Wanda and Vision stories to tell and that we'd only scratched the surface with their relationship in the the MCU movies, and also because, you know, Paul and Elizabeth were so spectacular, we knew they could carry anything, and we wanted to work with them more. Okay, so why then sitcoms? Why use that as the inspiration for WandaVision? Again, Feige had this amazing story about how it all had to do with the trauma that Wanda experienced in Infinity Wars. Wanda first destroys the Mind Stone and Vision, in order to prevent Thanos from getting access to all six of the Infinity Stones, only to then have Thanos use the Time Stone to reverse Wanda's action and then rip the repaired Mind Stone from Vision's forehead. So in effect, because of what Wanda does, Vision is killed twice, which understandably puts Wanda in a very emotional state, which we saw a little bit of during the Scarlet Witches face-off with Thanos in Endgame. Uh, and again, this is Feige talking to Screen Rant. The beauty, the simplicity of a sitcom is that you know when there's a problem at the beginning of the episode, 30 minutes later, there's going to be a solution, and you can then move on. Think of how comforting that would be to live in a world like that if you were someone like Wanda who'd gone through something as traumatic as what happened to Vision. But when, and you know, the idea of okay, let's do a show that pays tribute to, to sitcoms, but let's do it right. And they were so determined to get it right, they actually sat down with Dick and the Dyke and asked for his input on this this Marvel
1: Limited series. Did he teach them how to trip over a futon, or not a futon, uh,
0: an Ottoman? It's actually it's it's great that you mentioned that because series director Matt Shackman, this was in with an interview with Christine Radish at Collider, he talked about you know, the lunch they had with, with Dick Van Dyke and and mentioned that you know, what Dick told them is that you can tumble over ottomans, you can be goofy, you can be anything, just as long as it's grounded in real life. That was one of the the reference points that they used for for Wandavision that. There had to be, in the middle of all the sitcom sillies, some real stuff. Mm. Do you remember the Dick Van Dyke show that sort of paid tribute to the Twilight Zone, the Walnuts episode? No. It's 20th episode of season two of the Dick Van Dyke show. It's called It May Look Like a Walnut, but it's the Dick Van Dyke show that literally in the middle of the episode makes a hard left and becomes... The Twilight Zone. In fact, that's one of the more interesting things of the show, is it really is sending up the Twilight Zone. But it showed the team that was making WandaVision that what they were going to try to do was possible, that you could do this tribute to the classic family sitcoms of the 50s and the 60s, but you could also bring in these other weird elements like the Twilight Zone and, and really create a mystery that could then play out over you know nine episodes or mm. so. But at the same time, in order to get that feel, in order to get that look just right, they really leaned into the actual production techniques that were used for shows like I Love Lucy and The Dick Van Dyke Show. And that meant filming in front of a live audience, which evidently Elizabeth Olsen found it really nerve-wracking because, again, you're not playing to an audience when you're, you know, in a classic sitcom, but you are feeding off of the energy of the audience. Right. So she was talking about how, you know, that, and the thing is that when you shoot that way, it was the very first thing they shot, and a lot of quick change, changes, there was a lot of adrenaline, and she was honestly so happy when the show, WandaVision, then moved on to spoofing sitcoms of the late 60s and the early 70s, like the Brady Bunch, because those actually shot you know they didn't shoot in front of our eyes they actually had a fourth wall and again we get two episodes on the, the 15th and you know they do a nice job of sort of setting up the world setting up the stakes and you know laying out just enough of the mystery that you do come back and speaking of coming back when when we get back from this commercial break Aaron and I are gonna talk about Deadpool 3 Kevin, as he was out talking about WandaVision, the nice thing is you have him in a room and you can ask him anything. And so the question then came up about Deadpool 3. And on earlier episodes, you and I talked about how the uh, Logaline sisters, uh, Lizzie and Wendy, are hard at work on the screenplay for this thing. But here's uh, also some other Deadpool news that Kevin shared with Steve Weintraub. This sequel, just like the first two Deadpool movies, will be R-rated. We're working on a script right now, and Ryan's overseeing that script. Deadpool through won't won't begin shooting this year. That's largely because Ryan's a very busy, very successful actor. So this R-rated sequel won't begin shooting till 2022 at the earliest. And as long as they got Feige talking about future MCU movies, the folks over at ComicBook.com... Then pressed him about all of the casting stories that've been bubbling up about the third Tom Holland Spider-Man movie, uh, how Toby McGuire and Andrew Garfield are supposedly making appearances in this uh, Sony Pictures production. And Kevin, to his credit, had some fun with his response. It's like, yeah, I've read some things. The fun thing about online speculation is that when it comes to our stuff, that sometimes they couldn't be more off the mark, and sometimes it's shockingly close. And that's held true for the last few years. But saying which is which would take some of the fun out of everything. But the comic book guys, to their credit, pressed Feige. He got a little more serious with the next response. and said, look, the biggest clue I can give you about the next Spider-Man movie is the title of the, the Doctor Strange movie. And that's the Multiverse of Madness. So the question now is where is the Multiverse of Madness taking us? And that's something we'll be exploring. WandaVision, the next Spider-Man movie, as well as the next Doctor Strange film. So, uh, by the way, in this response, somewhere there might be a clue as to who the big-name performer is that's supposedly turning up in a, uh, one of the, the later versions or later episodes of WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Here's the interesting quote from Paul Bettany. What I can't tell you is about the actor who's going to be surprised surprise to everyone. It's like, I, I got to work with an actor that I've been wanting to work with forever. It's just unbelievable, and we had some real fireworks together. So, given that Elizabeth is supposedly showing up in Multiverse of Madness, I, what do you think? Benedict Cumberbatch? or? I would expect it to be someone new. Mm-hmm. Just
1: because... I wouldn't be thinking of any of the current Avengers. I mean, it's like they're they're all in a fraternity or a club right now. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we're Avengers. You know, we got we all got the tattoo. <laughs> you know, yeah. so even if they didn't get to work directly with another person on a movie, they still kind of got their credits. You know, naming the credits next to them, so they work together technically just not yeah. in the same scene. So I, I don't know how, how do they look at it as as a celebrity is, you know, do you do you have to actually share a scene with Benedict Cumberbatch to have quote unquote worked with Benedict
0: Cumberbatch? That's an interesting question. I wish I knew my Marvel Cinematic Universe better than this, that I would know definitively whether or not these two have been in a well, scene Well, the together. thing
1: is, we don't have a villain. We don't have a big bad. Who's the
0: antagonist?
1: I mean, mm-hmm. if we knew that, then we Uh, might have a a different direction of who it was that he was so excited to work with
0: and maybe why he was so excited (laughs) to work with them. But just to give you some idea of where this project is or how important WandaVision is to Disney, I mean, the very best sitcoms, the the, the most memorable ones, have a memorable theme song. And so as WandaVision was in the works, the thinking was, wow, we, we really need a good theme song for this thing. (laughs) That's a great choice. But the interesting thing is, again, this is Disney. So uh, Disney was thinking, well, who do we turn to for great songs? And in this case, it was Bobby Lopez and his wife, Christian Anderson Lopez, the team behind, of course, the score for both of the Frozen films, as well as Pixar's Coco. Wait a minute. We're hiring them to do what for us now? They're writing just the theme songs for the faux sitcoms that we see in WandaVision.
1: Uh, I'm trying to see the translation, I guess. Frozen to bouncy <laughs> 60s type of uh,
0: theme song. Okay, I can see it. Go ahead. Well, the interesting thing is evidently Matt Shackman. Bobby went to college with, with Shackman, so he he pitched it to them. And uh, Kristen and Bobby didn't even have to think about it. They, they loved the bright feeling of American sitcoms uh, mixed with the deep sense of unease that this story had. And it was a really inviting challenge to set up that tone. And Kristen chimed in. It's like, look, I grew up in the eighties watching all of these shows from all these decades all day long, you know, episodes of I love Lucy and the Brady bunch and family ties. They shaped who I am and how I moved to the world. So to their way of thinking, this was a dream project. So they leaped right into it. But anyway, sorry, we keep circling back to Vision on today's podcast. But to be honest, given where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is headed for the next year or so, you know, the path to the Spider-Man three home renewal, what what what, what, what was your theory? Uh, no,
1: I I have a lot of theories for. Uh, it, they could be home run to you know like run home, you know. <laughs>
0: okay, All I right. don't
1: know. It's so crazy. It's just so crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going through the list of uh, Marvel characters because we're getting Wanda Vision, and it was like, well, obviously because Wanda and Vision both have never had a movie, a solo movie. And then it was like, oh, wait, you know what? Falcon and the Winter Soldier. They also have not had their own standalone film. They've always been a side character in someone else's film. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I wonder if this is a trend I'm just discovering all by myself. Hawkeye is coming out. He also never got a movie. He was just an Avenger that got tacked on with a bow and arrow. Mm -hmm. And then Nick Fury, he's got a a thing coming out for Disney Plus, right? This is true. This is true. And he's never Mm -hmm. had a solo Mm -hmm. thing. Hulk which had the universal problem never had a solo mm-hmm. thing but voila She-Hulk and what do we hear Ruffalo's coming in to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And then War Machine also a sidekick mm-hmm. in all of the Iron Man movies and all of the Avenger movies but never had his own
0: feature of his own. And he's got mm-hmm. uh, Armor Wars. Uh, to double back to the Hulk thing we're talking about She-Hulk? Mark Ruffalo's take. Yeah. On the Hulk, because obviously there was the Ed Dorton movie, and I'm blanking the name of the gentleman who did the Ong uh, Lee film. Eric Bana. There we go. I mean, you bring up an interesting
1: point. So I, I was just wondering if there's any other heroes that, that were side heroes that, were not, that haven't had their own movie. I'm wondering, are they going to get a series, a Disney Plus, huh. here's your show, for Shuri, you know, or, or whatever. And then do we have mm-hmm. the news about Black Panther, about that yet?
0: Kevin actually has been also addressing that issue. He's been uh, relatively straightforward about the fact that we're not going to be doing a CG version of Chadwick Boseman. You know, Ryan Coogler is working on the script right now. He has a solid backing of the studio on his take as to what they're going to do and how they're going to honor chadwick but yet move forward with this character so so so
1: here's the dilemma jim you're you're a writer yeah. okay yeah. let's let's mm-hmm. pretend for a second mm-hmm. i'm your boss and i come to you and i say jim mm-hmm. i have got a project for you we're going to have you write a
0: movie and it starts shooting when <laughs> when does it start shooting they're going to start shooting in july it's going to be a 6 month long shoot and then it's out next okay. summer which again seems a ridiculously tight turnaround especially project So like
1: I'm coming to you as a, as a writer in January mm-hmm. saying we got to mm-hmm. start rolling film in, in July. Your lead actor is unfortunately passed. Mm-hmm. You can't use CGI. It's disrespectful. You can't recast him. He was too attached to that role. It, it would dishonor everything that you know he brought into that by, by recasting him. So we can't do that either. I need a script. Mm -hmm. With him in it, I don't know how you're going to do it. Right. And what do you come up with, Jim? That's a small box.
0: That is a very small box. But at the same time, I wonder if the folks at Marvel kind of defaulted to the Last Jedi situation when they lost Carrie Fisher.
1: But what footage are you going to, I mean, is it off of the entire career from Civil War all the way through Endgame? All of that unused footage, you have to go sifting through that before you can. And then you got to kind of write down, these are the words he said. And Mm -hmm. uh, now I've got to write a script that and you got to, you know, move those words around. So it makes sentences and whatnot and that weren't used for Civil War specifically or weren't Mm -hmm. used for Endgame specifically that were discarded B-roll material for another movie. And you got to make that your A roll. Oh, Jim! Oh,
0: what do you no, write? It's, it's, what do you
1: write? Oh, the no, keyboard is no. like, is a mean beast that day.
0: Yeah. In a weird sort of way, this brings to mind Blake Edwards. Um,
1: oh, after uh, Peter Sellers had passed for a yes. Pink Panther,
0: and they made yeah, uh, the, was it on the trail of the Pink Panther? Well, I think there were actually two films, they 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 made The Trail of the Pink Panther and then I want to say The Son of the, the, the Pink Panther, which was supposed to set up the new character to carry the franchise and it just it did not work. It was it was an interesting exercise and you know, there were a lot of very very talented people involved. And- so,
1: I don't want to have the fear that the the Black Panther 2 is on the trail of the Black Panther.
0: There you go. The search for T'Challa, so to yeah. speak. I, I, again, as a writer, I don't know what I would do this, with this situation. And the fact that you have to feel for Ryan Kugler who had the second film written.
1: I mean, at some point you do have a compass that, uh, you know, of. we know that we've got a direction to go in. In the overall mm-hmm. scheme, Feige knows the MCU's chess pieces and where he intends mm-hmm. on them moving so if he knows that mm-hmm. Eternals is a part of, is a part of a thing coming up mm-hmm. and he needs to move this chess piece over with this chess piece to make a battle happen it's kind of weird because you've got a fortune teller at your disposal mm-hmm. feige what's going to happen mm-hmm. in a year with the mcu with all the movies i'm not writing oh these five things mm-hmm. and these characters and blah excellent i've got a compass i'm going that direction
0: we know from the Investor's Day presentation that he wants to move forward with Blade, and we got confirmed that the Fantastic Four film is in the works. So it's just like, as you said, you know, that you know where the rocks in the river that Feige's trying to get to are, but it's like, how do you get there? And speaking of the Fantastic Four, I, I want to bring up the Marvel publishing side. Evidently, there's a book called. Marvel, August 1961, Omnibus. August of 1961 was when Marvel actually launched uh, the original Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four number one came out. But at the same time, Marvel was a comic book company. And there there were 11 other books that Marvel published in August of 1961 that you get to see how Marvel stepped out into this superhero space and did something different and launched its Silver Age of Heroes with you know, the first family of Marvel, but this omnibus has the Western comic they published that month, the romance comic that month, and you, you get to understand that what a crapshoot it was to roll the dice on the Fantastic Four and, and have that somehow break through and launch this whole new series of things for Marvel. So understanding that here's Feige now trying to get back to the first family of Marvel and introduce them into the bigger MCU. I just, I wonder with all these films and these television shows we've been talking about today. It's like, what's the thread? How does he get us there?
1: It's, it's gotta be an origin story. I would imagine Mm -hmm. because it seems like they all have origin stories with the exception, oddly of Spider-Man. He came to us Mm -hmm. already formed. He had his power. Mm -hmm. Tony found him, brought him in. We didn't have to go through the mm-hmm. whole hubbub, got bit by a spider. I mean, I guess we do have the option, technically, if we could just skip it. They just exist. Mm-hmm. So then what is the catalyst that brings them into the story? Dr. Doom, mm. baby. Come on. Mm. That's, that's what I'm waiting for is Victor Von Doom to have a very mm. righteous goal in mind that just requires you know something like Thanos, the destruction of half the planet. But mm-hmm. it's for a very good cause, <laughs> you know, something like that. And, and I do think that because Tony Stark has been as much a blessing and a, as a curse as he was to the MCU mm-hmm. because he was responsible for Ultron. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. technology still exists and Doom needs Doom bots. And what better Doom bots can you have than an old discarded Ultron? You know, mm-hmm. something like that, that you can tinker and, and just put out there because you don't need a story for that. It's like, oh, so he's a robot genius. No, I it just it's an Ultron. <laughs> they mm-hmm. they mass duplicated. Mm-hmm. Remember, that's how they got along. They just found tech and made new Ultron. So mm-hmm. why not just grab some of those and have voila, doom bots, throw a gle- green cloak over it. Done. Uh, I mean, let's uh, I mean, it seems like it it could be a really fast track because you need you need quick language. Remember when uh, the battle in Endgame started happening and Peter showed up? He goes, Mm -hmm. what's happening, Mr. Stark? That guy from space came Mm -hmm. after the wizard for a, a gem. Go. We need it to be that quick now. So. Uh, Ultron into Doombot. Doom now wreaking havoc on the world. Who can stop him? Oh, let me introduce you to the first family known as the
0: Fantastic Four. We're talking about Endgame. We were talking earlier about Infinity War. And those films were earned. We had all of the films that led up to this point. We saw, you know, the various conflicts. we. I mean, again, think about how the Scarlet Witch and her brother came on the scene. In in Age of Ultron, and you know that. In fact, I, I to this day I still love that wonderful scene where Wanda's in the house hiding with Hawkeye, mm-hmm. and it's just like, look, I got arrows, right? You know, it's like I have to go back out there. But if you come back out there, you have to help us. I think what the the Marvel films all do so well is that mix of huge action scenes, but these great little human moments. Mm-hmm which actually gives these actors something to do. And a Hollywood reporter just this week talked about how Feige and the MCU almost got beat to the whole team-up movie because, you know, I guess back in 2011, 20th Century Fox came within inches of making a Fantastic Four versus the X-Men movie. And not only that, Aaron, but supposedly... They got the idea from the Civil War crossover comic book series. So they would have effectively poached the thing that introduced us to the Black Panther. Or for that matter, the amazing battle at the airport in Leipzig. But anyway, this is supposedly the storyline for the film. Uh, it would have gotten underway when Johnny Storm accidentally blows a hole in Manhattan uh, when he goes supernova trying to capture a, a fantastic a classic Fantastic Four villain, Molecule Man. So that's the inciting event. And this, in turn, sparks the Superhero Registration Act, which, again, we, I guess they called those the Sokovia. Accord. Right, yeah. So in this film, it's the Fantastic Four and the X-Men that ends up on the different sides of this issue as opposed to basically the Avengers splitting down the middle. And the idea, evidently, Fox wanted to use all of the Marvel characters that it had the rights to in a single film, and it ended up surprise, surprise, with an epic superhero battle <laughs> with Wolverine, right. uh, which uh, still at this point is played by Hugh Jackman, yep. and he's fighting Mister Fantastic. And you had mentioned who did, did it was I uh, guess
1: Ewan the- Grufford was the okay. original Reed Richards in that. Now the thing is, this is supposed to take place in 2011. So we have a decision to make. Do we go with the Mm -hmm. Fantastic Four movies from 2005 and 2007? 2011 is only Mm -hmm. four years after, so it could very well be. However, the Fantastic Four movie that was rebooted happened in 2015, Mm -hmm. which was also a difference of four years. So are we claiming the new reboot cast or the old? Because it's right smack dab in the middle.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. and uh, Or are we going to go with the Corman? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We don't talk about the Corman. But, but here's the thing, that the hero versus hero brawl ended with Reed Richards pinning Wolverine down and then extending his hands until they're one molecule wide and then using them as scissors to cut the mutants' arms off. And... In the article, they, they were like, they grow back, right? <laughs> yeah, know? but they so, wouldn't grow
1: back with adamantium on the bones. It would just be the oh, bones. no. Yeah. See, I that's didn't. why Reed is the smartest man in the MCU. Yeah, he's uh, using the old noodle on that one. Th- they were going to use all of the characters that they had. All of the characters that Fox had. Yeah. Are we
0: going to get Ben Affleck back for Daredevil? Hey, that's an actually interesting point. They mentioned as part of this article that the film would have featured Daredevil and Deadpool. Oh, well, well not only we that.
1: Stop and reanalyze Deadpool. Okay, two thousand eleven. When did we have right. Ryan in the hu- Was that Hugh uh, the
0: Wolverine that, that, Origins? Right. There we go. And and then this is where that gets interesting because again, that. Version of the character, which let's be honest, everyone hates. Oh, damn! That was two thousand nine, so that would have been after that. Two thousand nine. We have to cast Ryan. Oh, yeah, but but not the good version of Ryan. But here's how close this got to be made. Paul Greengrass, who who would then go on, uh, eventually go on to direct the Born Supremacy, confirmed that he was in talks with Fox about and that this never made X Men versus Fantastic Four film. He said they did talk to me about it. I wouldn't say I was attached, but we talked and I thought about it. In the end, nothing happened. And as for a script, Zach Stentz, the gentleman who wrote X-Men First Class, uh, he talked about how Ashley Edwards Miller and I, when we were working at Fox and we were working on on X-Men First Class, they had us do a secret movie script for them, which I can't tell you the plot. But I can tell you, it used all the characters, all of the Marvel characters that Fox had at the time. Use X Men, use Fantastic Four, use Daredevil, use Deadpool, and Daredevil was still at Fox at the time. So, and again, that was five years before Captain America Civil War debuted in theaters in May of 2016.
1: Well, we just sort of had to find a different way for our heroes to not get along with one another. Gee, how mm. how challenging is that? Especially with the Fantastic Four, because they're just the family that bickers amongst one another and manage to still get stuff done.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, I, I did you see the news out there about Feige's Star Wars project? I did. I did. And I'm not happy about that. It's not like we're asking for
1: anything but a lifelong commitment to nothing but Marvel. It's been a success. Mm. Please don't just... Enjoy your time in another sandbox. You're you're committed to the salt mine. Now go mine your salt. Make it Marvel flavored. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, actually, I, I was talking with somebody at Disney, and they just, they could not really talk about this because they've just hired the screenwriter, the guy who, who wrote the first season of Loki. And by the way, did you see as part of, this news breaking that they, they mentioned that there is a second season of Loki already in the world? Oh, that's
1: good. I was, I've was i been really worried that a lot of these were going to be one-offs mm-hmm. because you're just not going to have, you know, space on the calendar if you keep coming up with new stuff for new heroes. Something's got to give at some point. Like, I really wouldn't be surprised if Mandalorian never came back, if, if he just got folded mm. into Book of Boba Fett and then wandered on over into whatever story over... Because you did say that they're all going to cross over into one big... Epic thing,
0: right? So your characters can kind of wander, right? They can do that. So interesting that you talk about the crossover event that Kathleen Kennedy has mentioned. That at some point in the future, we're going to get a crossover between Mandalorian, Rangers of the Republic, I, right, I and Ahsoka, yeah. ah, and Book of Boba Fett. Right. Friend, D- Dizzy brought this up. It's just like, okay, so who's really good? at doing crossover events. Yeah, he's already employed doing something else.
1: Leave him alone. I I, I get that. I get that. But but think you about it. You can't poach if, inside keep, your own company? That ain't cool.
0: Well, we just <laughs> talked about Kristen and Bobby writing songs for the the, the WandaVision thing. Think about it. If you're going to do a crossover event for Star Wars, for Disney+, Plus, wouldn't you want the guy who's clearly proved he's good at that from Marvel handling that?
1: No. Just no, saying. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> well, I'm fine with right. Favreau's doing great. Filoni's doing yeah. everything just fine. Let them be the Feige's. That Feige is to, to Feige <laughs> just leave them alone I, I mean it's it's I should be totally fine I don't care one way or the other but it's like you're if you're okay. gonna divide your attention truly something's mm-hmm. gonna give and I would mm-hmm. I, as a Marvel fan I also like Star Wars a whole bunch and I love it you know mm-hmm. just as much mm-hmm. but I really like where, where Marvel is. I like the direction that it's headed in the future, uh, apparently. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I can be proven wrong at any time a show starts, and I don't like it. I can be proven wrong. But I, everything I like mm-hmm. right now is, seems on track, focused, and that's because of a single visionary driving the bus mm-hmm. with a world of creative backing him up. And as soon as you go, hey, drive two buses,
0: mm-hmm. someone's going to get into an accident. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> you know, again, so i uh, t- tell you what, come back here in two weeks. We'll have all seen a couple of, of episodes of WandaVision and we can start talking about where that show's going to go and more to the point, what the mystery is. And let's see, beyond that, Aaron, I, I, I went out and got myself a treat, which is the art book for Marvel's Avengers, the um the game. Oh, okay. I guess we're this far after the launch, but I was kind of surprised to find out that the big bad in this game was MODOK.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Eh, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's aim. So you can have mm-hmm. a whole bunch of bad guys, faceless mm-hmm. yellow suits running around, mm-hmm. to to beat up on. So yeah, Modoc's, you know, head of aim. So mm-hmm. there you go. You have a bunch of baddies okay
0: but i just you and i both know about that patent oswald modoc you know kind of office comedy mm-hmm. that's in the works at the you know the talented guys at robot chicken you know or, or some stupid buddy studio are right. doing and it's just it's one of these things where it's like really that's your villain knowing that this show is coming where, you know, you've got Patton Oswald. I mean, you know, one of the great comics of our age, doing MODOK as, as the frustrated sitcom dad. Yeah, the reality is that
1: I think game developers believe their games have a longer shelf life than they actually do. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of games that I have that are still, quote-unquote, going on, like, Tom mm-hmm. Clancy's Rainbow Six. They keep adding chapters and new content. And it's been going mm-hmm. for years now. Just years. And people mm-hmm. still play it. Truly, people still play it. Mm-hmm. But not very many. I've got a big mm-hmm. friends list with hundreds of people mm-hmm. on it. And nobody's playing it on, on mm-hmm. that friends list. And it's like okay. maybe Saturday morning at 3 o'clock after someone got home from the bar. You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll turn on the Xbox and play a couple matches with their buddy. But... It's not a big thing. So in this instance, when Avengers comes out and they're using MODOK and then I don't know how, how long before uh, patents thing actually hits the airwaves or the interweb.
0: Mm-hmm. We're just a couple of months out now from the launch. Yes.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, that's oh. maybe nine months separation between the two. And in mm-hmm. the rearview mirror, nobody gives the rat spittoot about the video game that came out almost a year ago mm-hmm. that didn't sell very well and didn't play very well. And, you know, at that point it's just like, eh, that, that was a dumpster fire. We're looking ahead at this moment. Here's a cool new shiny Modoc with the voice of Patton Oswald. <laughs> All right.
0: All right. Well, I, I'm still glad I picked it up because I mean, it has, it lays out the world building and, the epic scale of the game—you—you you definitely get a sense of a lot of very talented people worked very hard. Oh sure, um, sure. But, but again, you know the same thing. Just to to hear you describe the bug-ridden experience. Oh no, that.
1: I'll tell you what, man. The guys that uh, worked on Marvel's Avengers there on the, on the video game mm-hmm. side are probably mm-hmm. breathing the biggest sigh of relief that they had nothing to do with Cyberpunk 2077. Because <laughs> that one, they it was it came out, you know, with your sixty dollar price point as usual for a triple A mm-hmm. title, and within I want to say a week or two, they had discounted it by ten or twenty dollars uh, because it was just doing so bad. And then the the game stores put up warnings: this barely plays or barely functions on an Xbox One or a PlayStation Four. You probably shouldn't buy it. And uh, then they just I think PlayStation pulled it from the store altogether. And we're refunding people outright. Here's your cash back. So Mm -hmm. they didn't have that happen to them. Mm -hmm. They just didn't have a very good game. And the now the problem is, do you want to sink how much time, energy, and money to polish it to get it into Mm -hmm. a really nice, decent shape? when the sale date was so long ago in the past and nobody's you're not getting new customers right now you're appeasing off customers is actually what you're doing how much money are you going to spend on that because no matter how good you make it there's not anybody going to be buying a new copy of this game at this point
0: If you listen carefully, folks, you can hear the GameStop employees weeping that. Yeah. No, I said so.
1: I said new copy. They sell the used copies, so you know you'll, oh, you'll well, go pick it up go. for like ten or twenty bucks. The mm-hmm. publisher will make no money off of that. GameStop will make their cut. They'll they'll be you know not doing well yet, but they'll they'll still be working their scam. I mean business. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, business.
0: <laughs> Okay. Well, <laughs> on, on that happy note we can we can scratch GameStop off of the potential sponsor <laughs> list. But all right, thank you for listening folks and we will be back with a brand new show soon.